This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. The phrase, blind astronomer, is often used as an oxymoron. So entrenched is the idea that in order to study astronomy, it is critical to see. In fact, there were and are astronomers with a range of disabilities, including blindness. With growing interest in amateur astronomy, there is a unique opportunity to throw the door wide open for people with disabilities to explore and participate in astronomy. Many people have found ways to adapt software and telescopes, have created tactile models of the solar system, and use sound to replace photographs of outer space. The opportunities to make astronomy accessible are as limitless as the universe itself. Today, we discuss accessible astronomy. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juwita Gupta. It's really good to be with you today and we're talking about astronomy. We often circle back to this topic here on this program, but also other AMI-audio shows. I know it's a popular topic that generates a lot of interest. And in the past, we've covered everything from apps to softwares to a observatory in Nova Scotia that is catered to people with disabilities, particularly people with blindness. I think by now we're quite familiar with the notion that you don't have to necessarily have 20-20 vision to appreciate astronomy or indeed to participate as an astronomer. We're going to talk about one such piece of software today. It is free to the public and it aims to make the universe accessible to people with visual impairments or blindness. For more, we reach Dr. Tim Spuck. Dr. Spuck is Education Development Officer for STEM, that's Science, Engineering, and Math, as well as Public Engagement Coordinator for Associated Universities, Inc. He is in Washington, D.C. this morning. Hello, and welcome to The Pulse. It's so good to have you on the program. Hi, and thank you so much for having me. We are super excited about this project, the IDATA project, uh, that is making astronomy more accessible to the blind and visually impaired. So thank you again for, for having us on the show. Well, we are very delighted to have you. Tell us a little bit more about the IDATA project. Okay, so the IDATA project uh, is a project that is funded by the U.S. National Science Foundation. Uh, back in 2016, we got an award of uh, around $2.5 million to actually explore computational thinking in astronomy. Um, when we think about astronomy uh, today, most people envision these beautiful images of mm -hmm. gas and dust and galaxies and planets. But the reality of it is nobody actually looks through a telescope and sees those, those images. Really, um, astronomy is very computational based. It's, uh, many people will, will think of astronomy as being a highly visual science, but in reality, it's, a, it's basically, it's data-driven. It's a computational-driven uh, science. And so in our project, what we tried to do with IDATA was to explore this idea of computation and computing in astronomy 
teaching and learning by uh, immersing uh, sighted as well as blind and visually uh, impaired uh, students and their teachers in a software design and development process to actually create what we're calling now Afterglow Access, which is a software that actually takes um, the data array, takes the image, and converts it into, into sound. You mentioned a little bit about um, who is involved with the project, but why did you want to involve people who are blind or visually impaired? When we think about the universe and, as we, and how we explore the, the universe, um, we, we tend to get, as, as humans, we tend to get very focused on, on in certain areas. Like, for example, astronomy is highly visual, uh, because mm-hmm. of the fact that um, the vast majority of people uh, have sight. And, you know, there are these big, beautiful images. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean, for example, if you think of an image, and an image itself is simply a, an array of pixels with a number in each pixel, and that numerical value or that value is interpreted by the computer in, this, in most cases visually. And so you get a visual mm-hmm. display. Um, but in reality, you, you could take actually jelly belly jelly beans and put them into each of those squares and actually lick your way across the data and taste <laughs> the image. You could put scented candles in the little pixels and then you could smell your way across the data array. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it really, uh, you know, we don't have to treat astronomy in a, in a visual way. These data mm-hmm. arrays are things that we can explore in other ways. And anytime we're exploring things through other lenses, uh, what we end up doing is we found historically that we make some pretty unique discoveries. In Mm. addition, when we think about the blind and and visually impaired community, uh, they've been largely left out uh, of, in in many ways, out of STEM and in particular in in astronomy. Uh, And we, We know from research that the more diverse, for example, a research team is, uh, in general, the quality of the science uh, ends up being better, as well as it ends up being more impactful. I think it's really important to understand, just just as in history, uh, throughout history, anytime we've worked to make, um, make the universe or to make the world more accessible, for those who have been denied access or for those who have had limited access, what we do is we end up improving the world for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and so that I think was the, when we think about, well, why did we embark on this journey? Why did we do this anyways? I think that uh, kind of sums it up. You know, when I was preparing for this episode, I did come across a number of astronomers with disabilities, including blindness. And that was something that I had not known before. I think the most a common example or the most well-known example is Stephen Hawking, but he's not the only one, it turns out. Uh, We'll we'll come back to the question about impact in just a few minutes, but tell me a little bit about whether the software is available now to the public, whether it's online, and how might someone go about about accessing it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think in in your point about uh, astronomers, there are astronomers who have uh, a, a BVI condition. But I, to my knowledge, one of the things we don't have is an astronomer that actually started off 
being having a, a visual impairment. What's happened is that they've become astronomers and then the visual impairment is something that has developed later in life. And so in creating the software tool, we want to be able to get to these kids at a young age and let them know that, no, this door isn't closed for you. You can become an astronomer. And here's the tool that you can use to go ahead and show that you don't have to see an image. An image might be worth a thousand words, but how many words is a song worth? Uh, and, and so the software itself, this tool is now available free to the public for anybody who wants to go in and go and, and test it out. If you just go to our website, idataproject.org, that's I-D-A-T-A uh, project.org, uh, and you go to our resources tab, uh, you will see the software there. One of the great things about this piece of software is that accessibility was the key from the initial stage of development throughout its, its creation. And so we went with a, with a software that is uh, browser-based. So you don't even need to install anything on your machine. If you have, you'll use the software through your web browser. Uh, if you have a Gmail account, uh, you can go in and uh, access the software for free. If you have a, um, a Skynet account, which is something most of your viewers or most of your listeners are probably not familiar with, but that's another way to, to access the software. Um, keeping in mind that we are, you know, we're in the earlier stages of this process. So we now have the tool uh, or our Afterglow version 1.0. As, as time progresses, we hope to make additional modifications and make the software more accessible. Uh, but right now we're, we're hoping that uh, NSF will provide some additional funding for us to, to continue this work. But right now, software is there, it's ready to go. Would love to have some of your listeners give it a try and uh, share, share their feedback with us. So if I understand you correctly, it's an, a piece of software that converts light or images into sound, what are some of the concepts and ideas that are discussed in the in the iData project? So what are some of the things that we would encounter if you were to click on this today? Yeah, so if, if you're gonna go uh, to access the software, um, features that we have, for example, is that we can change the, you can change or tailor the color scheme uh, to your preference. So a lot of times color contrast uh, is a challenge for individuals with uh, uh, with visual impairments. So you can modify that. You can actually, within the uh, browser-based software, you can actually change the size of the text that appears in the in the buttons. So you can increase the size to again uh, help uh, individuals with the uh, with visual impairment. And when it comes to the data array, or if we think about a picture. Um, mm -hmm. Many uh, individuals who have a BVI condition are probably used to uh, tactile and being able to touch um, uh, an image or something and get a sense of what's there. But what we wanted to create with the software was something that was truly accessible. In other words, it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to go out and buy a special uh, device to plug into your laptop so that you can use it. And so what we went with was, was sound. And so if you think about uh, a picture or a data array, 
and you envision that that picture is just made up of rows and columns of pixels. And so it's just a whole bunch of little squares. Um, if you could envision that each row, uh, if you took a slice across each row of the image, and if you could overlay a piano keyboard on there, uh, you would the 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 tones or the the pixels on the left side of the image would be low tones, and the pixels on the right side of the image would be high tones, and if you add the dimension of volume, so volume indicates brightness. So if it's a bright star that's on the left side of the image, it's going to be a loud low tone. If it's a bright star that's on the right side of the image, it's going to be a loud high tone. And so that gives us the ability to actually just navigate through the image with, with sound. Now, if you then think of and you say, we, we're going to use one other piece, one other dimension here, we're going to use a time dimension, and we are going to scan up through the rows that make up the image. So that the, the first row would be one strike of the keyboard, uh, and the second row would be another strike of the keyboard. And if there's something that is bright that's in that row that is uh, a... Uh, to the left side of the image, it's going to be a loud, low tone that you're going to hear. And then if mm -hmm. you set your scan time for like 10 seconds and you scan through the image, what you're going to be able to do is hear the data as the scan progresses. So if something mm -hmm. is early in the image or something is early in the scan, you hear it early, maybe in the first mm -hmm. couple seconds, you know it's in the lower part of the image. If you hear something that's in the last eight to 10 seconds of the scan, you know it's in the top of the image. So mm -hmm. this is something that's really, it's really critical because I know in your, your opening comments, there are, we have seen where people have taken pictures or images and they have put them to music or they found different ways to sonify them. With this mm -hmm. tool, the important thing is, is that the user instantaneously can get an image off of the telescope. They could be using the telescope, capture an image, and actually experience it or see it through sound on their computer and be able to determine, well, am I, where is the image? Is it in the upper left-hand mm -hmm. corner? Where's the object? Is it in the upper left-hand corner, upper right-hand corner? Do I need to adjust the position of my telescope so that it's more centered? And you can do all of this through sound and and that's the amazing thing here is that now if you don't need to have a lot of knowledge base you don't need to have any special equipment or tools that all you need is a web browser and you can access this uh you can um you can use it without any additional devices. If you just have speakers on your computer, you can use it. Sure, if you have a set of headphones, it's, you know, it's better. But yeah, so this is, you know, these are the kinds of things that we, we had talked about when we want as we developed this, uh, this tool. So just to understand, you'd be able to take a picture in real time and use this software to analyze where things are on that picture, uh, you know, just using a telescope? Exactly. I mean, you can, yes, this is in real time, you know, you can, you can do it that way. 
Um, and one of the other things that uh, our, our partners, uh, because this project is made up of a, uh, of a key, of a large group. I mean, we had uh, roughly, uh, you know, a couple hundred students that were involved in the, in the project, about 20 teachers. Uh, we had folks from the, the University of North Carolina who were primarily responsible for the software design and development. We had Turk in Cambridge, Massachusetts that was responsible for the education research component, Glass Education in Wisconsin that was responsible for working primarily with the teachers and students, uh, University of Nevada, Las Vegas that was responsible for uh, a lot of the computational end of things, and of course, AUI was the, the connector uh, to, to all of this. But, um, you know, you can, you can go ahead and in real time um, listen to an image that has been taken by a telescope. But then the folks at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, gave us one more uh, special uh, piece I think it was for my birthday mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, what I wanted to do is I, I, I think that this tool outside of astronomy could have significant benefit in medicine imagery analysis, mm -hmm. as well as uh, geosciences uh, or satellite imagery analysis, you know, keeping in, keeping in mind that uh, auditory acuity in humans is significantly better than visual acuity. So mm -hmm. even if you're a sighted individual, there could be significant benefits by listening to the data rather than just seeing it. And, and so we can actually, you can upload a, a JPEG image as well. So it doesn't just have to be an astronomical image. You could upload an image of yourself or upload an image of your dog or upload an, an image that you've taken outside. Uh, and the software itself will automatically uh, parse the image into uh, the red filtered image, the green filtered image, and the blue filtered image, which is an mm -hmm. RGB that makes up a JPEG. And you will be able to hear that, that image as, as well. Now, I want to be, I want to be transparent here and clear. We did not, we've designed this software for astronomy purposes. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's really what it works with. Uh, what we've demonstrated is that we can do this with other just general kinds of image, JPEGs and TIFFs and, and so on. Uh, but we have a lot of work to do to, to work out um, sort of the detailed tools that would allow for the analysis of JPEGs and, and TIFFs because data isn't quite, data in JPEGs and TIFFs is not quite stored and retained in the same way. But we have demonstrated that we can get it to work. I'm Joita Gupta, and with me today is Dr. Tim Spuck, who is the STEM Education Development Officer for Associated Universities Incorporated. He's in Washington, D.C. Dr. Spuck, you talked a lot about images and, you know, red filtered images and green filtered images, all of which, of course, means uh, dealing with light. I'm so curious about how the software might handle something like a a black hole, which is marked by an absence of light. How would you go about describing that using sound? Well, I think that's an interesting question. And, and actually, when we, we think about black holes, black holes, uh, you know, the images of a black hole are, are simply, again, it's data that is arranged in a, in a pixel array. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it's in also interesting that AUI and the observatories we manage 
were actually played a significant role in creating the very first image of a black hole uh, that we have. And so that was an that was an exciting project. When it comes to looking at an image, we'll say instead of that number in the pixel representing visible light, it represents a, a, a value that correlates to the amount of radio energy or the amount of X-ray energy that came from the object. And so again, the, the detector just really, uh, and, and instrumentation puts it into the data, into a data array. And we choose to visualize it, but we can choose to listen to it as, as well. Who do you think would benefit the most from the software? Is it something that would benefit students in classrooms, amateur astronomers? Would it even be of some use to NASA? So that's a really good question. Who does it benefit directly? Well, definitely the software is designed with uh, high school and upper middle school students in mind. So that's our target group. So it's it's an education tool. Uh, But the tool itself is also used for undergraduate education, and even it is is usable when it comes to research, uh, for research purposes. Um, We think that this tool has lessons uh, that they can share with professional astronomers as they develop uh, as they develop their tools in astronomy. The, tool, the techniques that we are using are things that can tra- be transferred into development of professional scientific uh, analysis tools. And as far as NASA, could that benefit them? Possibly it could. But also what really benefits NASA and other scientific organizations and agencies is that we are opening up the doors for the development of a future workforce and a de- mm-hmm. a more diverse future workforce, which we know uh, is a benefit not only to the scientific agent to the science agencies themselves, but to the general public as a whole. Do you think that this will help to change perceptions of disabilities as aberrant or sort of uh, a minority group if we can start to incorporate software like this into our classrooms and other workplace settings? Will it help to normalize disability? Absolutely. Uh, and, and what I've learned through this project uh, is that we are not a society of individuals with disabilities. We are a society of individuals who have varying levels of abilities. And I have had some amazing experiences uh, through this project with a number of uh, um, blind and visually impaired individuals where they have demonstrated to me that, for example, just their auditory, their auditory abilities make me, make me feel like I have an auditory disability because their auditory capabilities are so much more advanced than mine. Uh, and my visual ability might be stronger than theirs. But then we also have things like intuition, uh, the ability to work in a collaborative way. Um, that all of those are skills that are really valuable. Those are all abilities that are extremely valuable to functioning in society and to functioning within the scientific community. And so what we want is a team of individuals who can offset each other's varying levels of abilities. And so I think that this software has the capability of demonstrating to the rest of the world that very concept that we might have varying levels of abilities. And the issue is not the abilities or disabilities. The issue is the tools and resources that people have to use 
so that they can maximize their potential. And that's something that we can do with Afterglow Access and the iData project. Well, it's been really great getting to talk to you about the project. Just remind us before we let you go where we can access the iData project and the software. Please just go online and go to www.idataproject.org. That's I-D-A-T-A project.org and go to the resources tab and the software is there along with a video tutorial uh, that we uh, we think you would be very good to watch before getting into the software. But try it out and please let us know what you think. We hope to continue this work well into the future. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. I had a blast speaking to you. <laughs> thank you, Jolita. That was Dr. Tim Spuck, who is the STEM Education Development Officer and Public Engagement Officer for Associated Universities, Inc. He was in Washington, D.C. this morning. That sounded like a really interesting conversation. I hope you will go and check it out again. If you missed any of my conversation with Dr. Spuck, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. Also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse for the link to the iData project. I'd like to thank Dr. Tim Spuck for being my guest on the program. It was a great fun talking to him today about making astronomy accessible. Nasreen Abdul-Majid is the technical producer for The Pulse. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.